If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Joe Hool. Joe's competing dressage and show jumping and eventing she coaches, competes and trains and also has time to be a dressage judge as well. How are you today, Joe? Hi, I'm fine, Glennis. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Joe, your favourite quote. Have you got one for us? Yes, it's my horses, my teachers, which was quoted mm. by Pajowski, Alois Pajowski, who was involved in the Spanish riding school, mostly because my horses are my teachers, and I think it's a great quote for a lot of people that the horses are the ones that teach us at the end of the day. And it was very much, he wrote it in a book. It was a title of a book, and mm. it's a great quote. It's very simple, isn't it? You know, four words, but they do mean quite a lot. I've come back in answer to people sometimes when they're sort of saying about, you know, who's coaching them or who's, and all the different people you've been to, and I've just said at the end of the day, my horses, my teachers. Mm, and mm. as coaches, what the horses teach us, we teach on. And it's a process, but the horses are our teachers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Do you remind your students that? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and friends. It's even come up on Facebook, you know, when people have said, just to put it back in perspective. Mm, mm. We're just constantly learning. And I think a lot of people are if they can't work out a horse and something's not going right, they sometimes tempt to think, oh, I've got to get rid of the horse, I've got to get rid of the horse. And I feel the learning process just carries on the rest of our life. And what we've got to do, if there's something not working, we've got to listen to the horse. What's it telling us? And we've got to learn something. There's obviously something we don't know, and that's our lesson. We need to learn that. And then, so I do feel each horse teaches me an enormous amount. Yep. And every time I'm coaching, each horse that the student's riding is teaching me something. So it's a fascinating process mm-hmm. and a wonderful journey. Yep, for sure, for sure. How did you start this journey, Joe? You know, what, we, what are your first memories, not just starting, but what are your first memories of starting? Funny enough, Glennis, a lot of memories are falling off. And, and they say a lot of people, you know, if they fell off at the beginning and they say, oh, I never rode again. I was in southern England. I was a non-horsey family. And I discovered horses through a lady on my mum's post round who had horses and I just fell in love with them. And then we found somewhere where I could go for lessons. And the lady who coached the lessons put me on a lunge line. And I remember like week two, she's sending me over Cavaletti and I kept falling off and falling off and falling off. I probably wouldn't teach that now. And I just kept getting back on. And I just loved it. I bounced, I didn't hurt myself luckily and I just kept getting back on but it, it was very old fashioned because I remember the um, the jodhpurs that I got, this is a pair of second hand jodhpurs for those old fashioned ones that go out the side of I mean, it, they were really awful and um, sort of heavy material and 
I hadn't really understand anything about the horse world at that stage, but I went on from from those few lessons, we discovered that my local village had a riding school and that was the absolute revelation of my life because I went up there and Lib Cloud took me under her wing. I never ever paid for a lesson as long as I was there, it was for years. And I worked and worked and worked and I would run up there on a Saturday at the weekend and I'd just ride and ride and ride and work and work. And when I was about 13, I'd already ridden 200 different horses because I had a list. <laughs> Yep, all these different names. And it was just the making of my equestrian career, really. It was fantastic. And she was amazing. She was the most incredible coach and really frightening at times. But, <laughs> but she loved me and she she coached me and looked after me, but she used to frighten me a lot. <laughs> and I remember a lot of the things. Yeah. You know, just very much the whole impact of it just developed the rest yep. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And and tell me again that when you went, you know, and you'd sort of went to one place where you were falling off over Cavaletti's, the next place you went, was that a bit different where you weren't put over Cavaletti's straight off or you learned what happened there? Well, that was to live Klaus. Yeah, because you said you wouldn't do it now. You wouldn't put a beginner over Cavaletti's now. What no. Would you do? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. like that because that was on a lunge. Oh, okay. Um, on the end of it. I mean, a very novice rider yeah, yeah. on a lunge over a Cavaletti, probably in, in my second week. And mm. I hadn't developed any of my core strength or, <laughs> or ability or balance. Or I'd actually been involved in gymnastics before I rode, so I wasn't bad in balance, but it was a really raw start. Yep. So we very quickly found the Hinden Riding School, which was quite famous at that time. Lib Clouds helped a lot of people start off. And she went through the basics right from the beginning and instructed me and taught me fantastic old school aids. And I think very quickly within a year, she was using me on horses that she was breaking in. And then eventually I'd be competing them. So I took them all the way through from, because at that time I was quite a little, a little person, sort of 10, 11, 12 years old. And we did everything. We were out competing. I was out hunting. I was showing. I was learning to show in a double bridle and working hunter and got involved in the pony club and uh, became part of the pony club teams in dressage, show jumping, cross country, eventing. And it just went on from there. So she was just the making of the beginnings of my horse career. Yeah, I was going to say, so it was just a natural progression then that you went on from there and then started to teach. Yeah, because being involved with Liv Clowes and she actually, she sent me away to some amazing coaches as well. Yep. We got involved with the Pony Club and the Pony Club in Britain have a, a system of exams, the British Horse Society exams that, you begin at that stage, I'd already begun them by 13, 14, 15. So by the time I was 15, 16, I was actually even above the NCAS level one that I have done in Australia. Mm-hmm. So you, you got so intensely into the exams and then it led on to coaching, yeah. aimed towards the AI assistant instructor. And from an early stage in the pony club when you're competing and you're learning. And the stable management was enormous. Mm-hmm. It was incredible, the depth that they put us through. And I was just so passionate about it. And I read and studied and learned. And, and I went off to people who taught me 
the higher movements and dressage and basics. And a lot of that is still what I'm developing on now. Mm, mm. What about if someone um, wants to commence? If, you know, you've got students there who are at school or just leaving school wanting to have a horse industry career, what sort of core skills or character traits do they need before they even think about having? Yeah, it's it's a hard one. I was thinking about this because, you know, you can smile and say they've got to be really resilient. <laughs> they've got to be brave. And, oh, my gosh, do they really want to? You know, I think a lot of them go in with this wonderful dream of I want to work with horses. Yep. And nearly everywhere in the world, and Australia and England, the horse industry is really, really hard. It's really, really hard. And finding a good place to work where you're not going to be pushed around or given all the dirty work or paid a terrible wage, it's still hard this day. And I think they've got to think hard about where they want to go with it because there's some wonderful people who will take them on and will really teach them masses. And I think sort of not let the dream take over but think about it a bit rationally and know sort of how, just face up how hard it's going to be. When I've worked in professional yards, we were up at 10 to 6 in the morning, half past 5, and we were doing last checks at 10.30 at night. And um, in, in the big eventing yards, you, you'd have horses stabled in and you'd have 16 horses between two of you and you'd be mucking out. I'd have eight horses and I'd muck them out five times a day. So you're doing a lot of physical work. So I think... Mm. You need to be fit and you need to be really passionate about it, but a bit level-headed not to let the passion allow you to be bullied. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to be able to stand up for yourself a little bit, but be very humble and learn. There's a a sort of strange mixture. So, yeah, you have to be brave and you you have to not want to make a fortune in life. (laughs) What do you think is the best thing then about working in the horse industry? Wow, the learning. Okay. The learning and the horses, the incredible experience that anyone gets from working in the horse industry. There is nothing like it. I think I find there's a complete difference between riders who've worked on professional yards and riders who haven't. The efficiency and speed of which they do things, but the way they can listen to horses and operate is so different. So the experience gained from working in a professional yard is just changes your riding and your horsemanship completely i Mm. feel if you get a good experience um it can just completely change a rider Mm -hmm. totally yeah and i think it lifts them up a great notch it takes them up a notch yeah because i get a lot of young riders come up sometimes to our place and their friends or their students and I sort of say, well, you tack up this one, I'll tack up that, and we'll just go for a pleasure ride. And the speed of which, mm. let's say, how slow they do things yep. and the fumbling and the time. And I think, you know, if they spend time on a yard, you get that knocked out of you so quick and you become so efficient. Mm. Mm. And the horsemanship that you learn, it just changes everything. And yep. the the fitting training in learning how to fit in horses and nutrition and everything, you know, bandaging the skills are enormous that anyone can gain from working in the horse industry. It's a fantastic experience. I think, you know, it just needs to go into with a little bit of level-headedness. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who do you think's helped you? Who do you think's influenced you and helped you in your career? Oh, wow. Well, 
Liz Clowes at the beginning, her name yeah. was Elizabeth Clowes. She was a massive influence in my life because she mm-hmm. really shaped me at the beginning. But she sent me, I was really lucky, at age 14, she sent me to Molly Sivright, mm-hmm. who was at Talland. And Molly Sivright was very high in the dressage world and wrote a lot of books. And she was also, I think she was a list one judge. She was quite famous. And going there completely changed things for me in my dressage basics. And she was putting me on horses and teaching me all through the movements. But the real correct way of dressage, the way to work through and how to use the movements as training, which was fantastic. And then following on from that, I was so lucky to meet a lady called Sheena Kazuba Kazuska, who became my trainer. It's a lovely name. <laughs> I'll take a breath. Um, she worked for um, Lady Lord and Lady Hugh Russell, who owned a property called Wiley, where the British team used to go and train cross-country. And it features in a lot of books. But Sheena was their head girl, and she became my trainer when I was in my teens. And she's very high up in dressage, but also the most amazing cross-country coach. And that really where my roots come from in coaching cross-country originated from Sheena. And her skills originated from Wiley, which was one of the big events in England. And it was about seven miles down the road from my place. And I used to go and watch all the events there. And Sheena was just the most incredible influence. But I actually went back to work for her in my 30s. She set up a a yard that was a dressage and eventing academy such. And I went to work there as her head girl for a while, which was incredible. And yeah, she's been a major influence in my life, in my coaching. I think she really got me coaching as well. What's one thing that you would have learned? You know, just tell us so that the listeners have got something to take away. What's one thing that you would have learned there that you think that's, you know, that's changed my coaching or helped me with my riding or my cross country? Just tell us one of the lessons. Yeah. All right. Um, fitting. So we had horses that were English weather. They were stabled. So they were stabled, but we had controlled turnout. And we had to have them at a real peak fitness. Now, I find when I meet a lot of riders, they don't have the skills in how to really get a horse fit. Yep. We used to begin with two, three weeks of walking work. And we'd be walking the horse into a contact, into a frame, actively walking. And we always stuck to it. We never started off like a horse roar and then started circling or trotting or schooling. We'd walk and we'd get their base muscle built up. Then we had fantastic hill country. So we'd be walking up hills and it was so progressive. And everything was progressive. We'd get on to the walking, the trotting. And then you'd start your schooling and your lessons, then you'd bring in your jumping, and you never just went straight into height. You'd start off with some grid work, you'd start off with a low level, and you'd build the horse, and you even built the riders up in a gradual way that is tremendous for avoiding accident and injury. Mm-hmm. And I really drum that into my coaching all the time now. And the use of hills for hill work, and then we'd start counter work, interval training. And even with dressage horses, we'd be taking them up the hills, we'd be cantering them, and you get this wonderful basis of fitness and muscle tone Mm -hmm. and how to manage that. I think that's one of the biggest things that I got out of the art. So the horses who were already experienced horses, you know, and I'm not sure the levels, but if they're advanced or three-day eventing, did they start off the same? 
you know, we're starting off the basic walking and then, you know, yep. the low jumps Absolutely. and everything else. Yeah. So that's probably a good lesson for people to learn and take away, you know, that even the horses who have competed, you know, a metre 10, metre 40, you know, yep. whatever, they're still going to appreciate starting off over the low jumps to get them fit, and yeah. to get them conditioned. Yeah. And like the tendons and ligaments, when they've had time off and they'd have a spell, have worked in in total there were three or four four star eventers that I've worked for and we'd bring them in with walking mm. all the time and if they were going to do three day eventing if they were going to go to the big level we'd start them off with four weeks of walking you'd do more walking yep. and you'd bring them in and I remember at a, a clinic talking to Ginny Lang mm-hmm. I had a bit of trouble with the horse I was riding at the time we were doing about a meter ten and I was going in and he we weren't getting it right in the show jumping anyway, and I talked to her about it, and she said, go home and make little cross rails. Do your whole course, just cross rails. So we're talking like two foot off the ground and canter it. And when I mean, she'd done so many four-star events by that mm. time in mm. badminton and Burley and internationals, and she said, just canter that and practice that and then go to your competition. She didn't even want us to put it up to height mm. before the competition. Mm. And she wanted it so... Years ago, they were talking about getting the canter right. Getting the canter right was more important than getting the height all the time Yep. and just getting the rhythm and um, the flow of things. And, yeah, learned some good lessons out of that. But I feel the horses have really got to condition their, their ligaments and tendons and muscles. Otherwise, the worst nearly always, you come back in from a spell and if you shoot ahead of step, you end up with an injury or a tear or a strain and mostly that just prevents that happening it's a really progressive sort of fitting process and yes definitely definitely for the ones that are going to go higher because they've got the biggest strain yeah now tell us about has it been a horse in particular that's influenced your career oh it's very hard to find one but I, I was really lucky when I reached 15. Like, again, I didn't own my own horse. I rode other people and I was still riding for Lib Clouds at the riding school and I was riding all of her horses. But a lady came along who had a horse called Fly by Night and it was a big jump up for me. I think I'd gone, I'd been riding ponies and competing and everything, but he was a horse. Mm-hmm. And he'd evented and he was quite experienced and he'd been to the Pony Club Championships with her daughter. And she came forward and she wanted me to ride him. And I remember it was really exciting. And I've got pictures of me because I must have grown (laughs) from this little short squirt to a very tall person overnight. And she taught me how to eat properly as well, how to, you know, train yourself as a physical athlete and Mm -hmm. eat correctly but at the same time train the horse and she was absolutely regimental with me and we got fly to a level where I actually qualified for the pony club championships and I went there which was massive for me you know I it was a wonderful experience because I was actually of the group of riders that didn't own their own horse didn't have the money quite often had secondhand clothes a jacket and jods that we'd you know to, to get through and there we were meeting the others and getting on the team and getting up to the Pony Club Championships. And mm-hmm. it was it was massive. And I, I just, I relived that day yep. again and again. Yep. So, Joe, do you think that was your proudest moment with horses? At the time, probably it was. Uh-huh. But it's changed since then. Sure. 
And I was thinking about this because, funnily enough, it's a weird thing that's my proudest moment. The proudest moment I have with horses is when I experience shipping a horse abroad. I brought a horse that I owned over to Australia and I put him in quarantine and I was separated from him for seven weeks and he was in quarantine at Newmarket and then he came out to Sydney. And my proudest moment is when he was delivered to me, which is quite local to the Albury district, Mm -hmm. to Jindera. And he'd arrived at the yard before I got there. I'd gone back to get a cup of tea and I came back and he'd already arrived. So the truck had been and he'd been put in this stable with a little yard. And this is a horse that I'd had for a few years. And what was so wonderful about it was I always thought that the bond between a human and a horse is quite strong. But what happened, it just blew my head off. I was walking through the yard and he came out to the the front of the stable and he was whizzing around because he used to weave a bit and mm-hmm. poked his head out and sort of glanced and then shot off and then did a double take and came back <laughs> to the door and his eyes, his eyes were bulging out of his head and he was obviously aware he travelled wherever yeah. and he was in a totally new place but he couldn't believe that I was there. He was just stunned and he didn't move and I went and walked into the paddock with him and he walked along, no head collar or anything, and he walked along at my side constantly touching my hand with his nose. Yeah, yeah. And the the power of that moment was the most profound moment I've ever experienced with a horse yeah. because it was what it meant to him. Yes. It was yes. enormous. So yeah, there's been moments, but that was that was a really major you're sort of going back, my horses, my teachers and um that's sort of one of them, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And he taught me then what it meant to the horse. Yes. And yeah. that sort of took me to a next level mm-hmm. of um, the bond between the rider and the horse or the person on the ground and the horse or the groom yeah. and the horse. That bond is very, very a big thing. Joe, what do you think's been your biggest challenge on your way to where you are now? You know, was it getting a horse from overseas or was there, you know, what's sort of your biggest challenge, do you think? I think my biggest challenge right now is this wonderful Andalusian horse that I acquired in um, 2012. He was unbroken, gorgeous horse, and he has been my biggest challenge. And he's probably taught me more than any horse has ever taught me. He is the most complex, and Lucinda Green described him as a frustrated genius. He is the most unusual horse, and he doesn't fit into the moulds of a lot of horses. He's very, very sensitive and very, very talented. And he's teaching me that I need to learn so much as a rider mm-hmm. to be able to ride him. Yep. And so, yeah, he's my ongoing challenge at the moment. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> and um, it's coming through, but he's taught me so much to get to this point. Yep. I've had to rethink everything <laughs> and go right back to the basics and go back through it all, Yeah, which is, Again, my horse is my teacher. And I think a lot of people are very much of the mind of, oh, you know, perhaps you need to get rid of him and get something else. And they don't know quite the bond we have at home, which is massive. Yeah. And um, I have to understand him and I have to understand how to ride this horse. So I think, yes, he's a major challenge and a very exciting one because when it works, it's just an amazing feeling with this one. Now, thinking about putting on your coaching cap, 
What's a common fault that you see with, you know, it could be your students, it could be competing, it could be just out and around. What's a common fault that you see? Because we want this for a lesson so that the listeners can take away. What's a common fault that you see and how would you fix it? Okay, I think um, the first thing that came to my head when you said that was impatience. Mm -hmm. I think in everything, people are so impatient to get out there and there's a lot of peer pressure. And really, if you take slow steps, you take much bigger steps. Mm -hmm. If they break it down and break it down, say, you know, they trot up the centre line, it's all going wheely or their home isn't right, break it right down and just do one thing. Just do one thing. Okay. Make it very simple for the horse. Mm-hmm. I've spent a whole half an hour on a horse dealing with holts. Yep. I've even done it, done it on foot, and I've done it with riders as well. And and mm. to help teach them the patience that once you have this established, it's with you forever. Yeah, yeah, it's that's really right. with you forever. So mm. taking those small steps rather than oh, I've got to get this now. You know, cause they'll they'll give you a shout and I've got to dress up. <laughs> coming up at the weekend and I desperately want a lesson. Oh, we need to go. We need to have had that yes. months and months before. Yep, yep, We need yep. to break that right down and patience mm-hmm. and patience. But if a horse isn't right and there's, you know, a bit of a strain, be patient. The next yep. competition is coming around the corner. For sure. It's not a problem. You just have that, I think. So that was the first thing that came to my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of other things. I think that's good. And also you talked about, you know, getting skills and breaking them down and just sort of working on whatever the problem is, but breaking it down to uh, the individual skills and having the patience to work on them. You know, the individual skills just one at a time is good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about a book for our listeners, something that's going to complement their training? Have you got something for us? Well, there'd be a lot of coaching books, but the book I was thinking was, uh, I'll be with you just a sec. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, My horse is my teacher's. <laughs> I know. I think that would be a bit heavy reading for the younger generation <laughs> nowadays. Uh, it's a book by um, Jane Felwell, mm-hmm. actually, who was an inventor, and it's called The Less Than Perfect Horse. Okay. And it's a Bible for me. And I've actually heard great people in the horse world, you know, now like William Fox Pint, Mary King, they all know this book. and Sorry, I keep drifting back to the British yeah. in it, but I was there a long time. And it's a brilliant book because it actually goes through all the problems that you encounter with riding and training a horse, and it gives you solutions of how to work through them. Yep. And it tells you that there are no perfect horses. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people nowadays, they always want to go out and buy the perfect horse, and it doesn't exist. So this book's terrific because it just literally is the less than perfect horse. It's every horse is the less than perfect horse. And there's so many little solutions. And it's one you can pick up and flick through and think, oh, I had a real problem with halting or the horse was leaning on the bit or rushing or they were a bit panicked or they were sort of rushing into their jumps. You can just look up anything mm-hmm. and you can take it back to a lesson. And, and I use it a lot in coaching. I'll go back through and the book's constantly by my bedside mm-hmm. and I'll pull it out the drawer and flick through and look for something and see what she has to say about it. <laughs> okay. She was a great coach as okay. well. It's a terrific book, that yeah. one. Yeah. Love it. Now, Joe, you've got a property that you're setting up at the moment. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. we've been here since uh, 
we bought it in 2012. We moved over in 2014. And it's been massive because we had to build a house and it was completely raw. So. <laughs> I was going to say, what are you looking forward to? But it, it is going to be oh. ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> More hard work. Um, yes, yes. I'm really looking forward to when I have, a few, um, we've got an arena and we've got the house and everything, but when we've got a few more facilities that make my life a bit easier and that I might be able to have more lessons up here and do some cross-country training up here, I've got a wonderful big cross-country paddock and uh, got all sorts of ideas for jumps that we're excavating in at the moment. And I'm looking forward to having that a little bit more established good, so that, you know, it just flows a bit easier Yeah, and we can do yeah. more here. Okay, and just in a few sentences, can you summarise your philosophy with horses? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a bit hard in a few sentences, is it? Yes, it is. I try not to go on too yeah. much. Um, I think, to me, everything with horses is about communication, bond and trust. Yep. And a lot of people get that confused in the lessons, that the horses are actually trying to, more often than not, they're trying to please us. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're being difficult or, or they, they're fat planning that they really don't want to work today. They just don't understand. The communication is somehow wrong. The bond isn't there and they haven't got the trust. And yep. It's all about that to me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The communication, the bond and the trust. Yep. That would be my philosophy. Okay. Yeah. And then, Joe, how can people contact you? I'm contactable by email. Yep. So I've. I've got, do you want me to Please, yeah, give yeah. my email? Yeah. Sure. It's Joe Hall, that's J-O-H-O-O-L-E 92 at gmail.com or my mobile, which is 0451054020. Yep. And um, I'm contactable on Facebook as well. I don't mind people contacting me on Facebook. And we okay. we have a Facebook site, Slate Hill Equestrian, Slate which Hill, is linked yep. to my name as well. No worries at all. So anything like that, I'll always get in touch. And those details will be on the Horse Chats website, which will be horsechats.com slash joehool, or go to horsechats.com and search for Joe or search for Hool, H-O-O-L-E. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, I think the um, through your journeys from sort of UK and, and not just your journey, your horse's journey, I think has been good. It's been good to um, talk to you about. So thanks very much for talking to us today and hopefully we'll catch up sometime soon. Yeah, no, that was lovely. Thank you very much for the experience. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 